Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast today is sponsored by Dina Chedva Bat Chaya Hena as a Seudat Hoda'a. Fantastic. Also, uh, anonymously for... And as well for breakfast, uh, the breakfast is dedicated in loving memory of Vanessa's father, Lilu Nishmat, Musa Moshe Kohen, Ben Shlomo Veflora, Alava Shalom, sponsored by Vanessa and Joe God. And as well, dedicated for the Rifuah Shalmav, Yosef Ben Rachel, sponsored by Sheba Hurizadeh. Hazaku Baruch to everyone. Okay, I want to talk about something which I think is very interesting in our parasha. Now, I'm sure we'll talk, we'll spend much time over the next week discussing this uh, pertinent issue, this important concept. The greatest sin that humanity ever did, there's no doubt, is the sin that humanity ever did, is the sin uh, in Gan Eden of the eating of the etzadat, of the tree uh, of, uh, of knowledge. That's called, uh, you know, t- the terminology is original sin. Um, it's the reason why it was so powerful and so important, perhaps one could say, was because that there was very little that they had to do. You know, it wasn't like they had to keep Shabbat and they needed to keep, you know, do this and do that and they had also all the laws of between man and fellow man. There was no fellow man. It was just him and his wife. Chalas. <laughs> he didn't have to be worried about being jealous about somebody else's wife, somebody else's house. There was nobody else. There was nobody else's wife. There was nobody else's house. Right? He didn't have to worry about killing anybody. He didn't have to worry about cheating anybody. You think about how many mitzvot Adam and Rishon could have had. They're very few. Right? But yet, God gave him even less. God gave him one mitzvah, and he, and, he didn't, and he didn't do it. He couldn't do it. So on the one hand, this mitzvah, this sin, was the greatest sin, the mistake that humanity ever made. Okay? The greatest sin, on the other hand, that the Jewish people ever made is the sin of the golden calf. So much so that God says, And the day that I, uh, that I come and punish you, in every punishment that we experience, there's an element, a modicum, a taste, a sliver of punishment for the sin of the golden calf. That fascinating. So all throughout history, that kind of sits, waits, and Akadosh Baruch Hu, uh, so to speak, pays it out over a very, very, very long installment plan. Now the first thing you think about is like, wow, God's holding on to this grudge for so long. But the flip side is that it was such a betrayal, it was such a big sin to do what we did at the foot of Mount Sinai, while Moshe was going to get the Torah. They, uh, they worshipped another god effectively, right? That's, that's what Gemara says. Like a kala that is unfaithful under the chupa. That's what's going on over there. So, you know, that sin was enormous. And instead of wiping the Jewish people out, God said, look, I'll make it so many payments. I'll give you, I'll count every little bit as a payment. You know, you stub your toe, I'll count that towards the cheshbon, you know. Um, and through that, uh, the Jewish people were allowed uh, to carry on, to survive, and even to thrive throughout the ages. My friends, um, this concept is a very difficult one to work out because it, it begs an, an important question, you know. You think about the idea of Abu Zarab, of serving another god. I can understand it, you know, in the Holocaust. I can understand... Serving another God, you know, if someone feels like they've been abandoned by Hashem, they, uh, they're living during the destruction of the temple, they're living during the, the, the uh, pogroms uh, in 1648 and 49 of Bogdan Chemelianitsky, 
where you're praying and there's no answer and you wonder where God and where His hashkacha and where His, uh, his protection is. The last place I'd expect Abu Dazara is from the Jewish people who witnessed HaKadosh Baruch Hu literally smash, defeat, and overwhelm all of the gods of Egypt. Right? He, Paro was the one that was able to say, now I know that all the other gods are sketching, really only Hashem is the real thing. They're a few short weeks away from, what's it called? From, from the, the splitting of the sea. Now, could you imagine that morning? Like, oh, where are you going today? Oh, I'm going to go to the golden calf uh, ceremony. Right? Like, oh, yeah, really? Oh, uh, maybe we should grab a bite to eat. What are we going to eat? Oh, what about the man from heaven that God is giving us? I'm a little thirsty. What should I wash it down? Oh, let me use the be'er, the well of Miriam that follows us around. You know? It's a good thing when we go dance in front of the idol, we won't get sweaty because we're in climate control from the clouds of glory surrounding us. What are we talking about, Rabotai? What, how is it possible to have Abu Dazara in the, in the face of that? It doesn't, it doesn't compute. So, my friends, the, the answer to that has to be that the sin of the Jewish people was not Abu Dazara. Cannot be. Now I'm going to prove that that's the case, and then I'm going to ask a follow-up question. The Pasuk says that Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Shammai, and after being uh, absent for what they thought was the right amount of time, 40 days, they come to Aaron, they're like, what's going on? Where's Moshe? The Ha'ish Moshe, that Pasuk is so instructive. It doesn't say, U Moshe, it designates a term for him. And the man Moshe, almost as if to say, we know what he is, and we know what he's not. The man Moshe is gone. So what are they replacing now that Moshe is gone? They're replacing Moshe. They know that Moshe is not God. Like we saw already earlier, Vayaminu Badonai U Moshe Avdo. They know that Moshe is just the servant. Moshe is just the, the leader. He's not the God. So when they replaced that position, what did they replace? Could you imagine? I just want to give you an example. Imagine I lose my job here in the synagogue. Barminan. God forbid. Okay, I lose my job. So they make a committee. They say, you know, uh, we just lost the rabbi. We've decided to replace the, the head of security. That's not the role that's missing. You have to see. William is still there at the door. That, that guy is our ox. William is going to be at the door protecting us. You know, literally until the day he dies, 120 years old, he's going to be in a, with a walker and still coming and still protecting the Jewish people. <laughs> now you think about this. If I lose my job, why would they replace William? That's not the job that needs replacing. They'll replace my position. Moshe is gone. Who are you replacing? God? The ego was not a replacement for God. The ego was a replacement for Moshe. Clear. The ego was not a replacement for God. The ego was a replacement for Moshe. 
So if it's not Avodah Zarah, and that answers our question, like, obviously, we're not replacing God. The God that gave me the man this morning, that gave me the water that I'm drinking right now while I'm contemplating this, that gave me the Ananea Kavod that I'm sitting and I'm living in, I'm not replacing him. He's here. He's obviously here with me, right? So, so then why does the Gemara call it Avodah Zarah? Why is it referred to in, uh, in, in the many Chazals that describe, that describe it? Who is the chupatu? The Jewish people were getting married to God. So if they were, if it's like a, an unfaithful bride under the chupah, who's she being unfaithful to? To her husband. With another, so it's clear in the imagery that they swapped God with another God. And yet I'm telling you that they didn't swap God, they swapped Moshe. My friends, the answer to this conundrum is something which I think is very simple and very powerful for back then, but it is also very simple and very powerful for right now. The Jewish people understood that God is running the entire show, that's for sure. But they also thought that the only way for God to interact with this world, and the only way for us to interact with that world was through something that they could access, that they could touch, that they could feel, that they could see. And that medium was once Moshe. Moshe was the pipe. Moshe was the the tzinor. Moshe was the, the method, the way, the path. And without Moshe, we needed another way to get to God. And God Conversely, needed another way to get to us. So while God is no doubt in charge, but the servant, he's the guy who drives the horse and buggy and brings the king up here. You don't have that. How's the king going to get here? I need you to hear this. The Pasuk says that they brought the golden calf, the makers of the golden calf, brought it to the Jewish people. And they said, Ele Elohecha Yisrael. This is your God, Israel. That took you out of Egypt. My friends, every single Jew that heard that line said to themselves, are you out of your mind? You just made that a minute ago. It's not, that's not my, that's not my God. That's not the one that took us out of Egypt. We didn't see that one when we pointed at the ocean at Bore Olam and said, right? We didn't point at a golden calf. How did the marketing work? How did they convince them? And the answer is that they said, look, you see the golden calf is animated? You see it's moving? Ele Elohecha, that is the workings of your God, O Israel. Asher Hotzeticha. Now for most of us, this is an interesting insight into a mistake that once was. But the problem is, and the challenges, like everything else in Torah, in understanding why did the Torah go into such detail to communicate this idea, if not to tell us that the sin of the golden calf is a stumbling block that we fall over all the time in our own life and in our own avodat Hashem. We are constantly falling over a golden calf. The idea that there is a medium, that there is a pipeline to God. And conversely, 
that God needs a pipeline to interact with us is one of the most damaging things that can happen to a Jew. You know, there are holy places in our world. Bet HaMikdash, Bet HaKneset, very holy. But our Rishonim and our Mefarshim say that the same way they turned the golden calf into something that brought them spirituality, that's what they assumed it was. So too, when we come to a shul, a shul can be a golden calf. If you feel that God lives here, but does not live with you, if you feel that shacharit, mincha, and arbit are the only prayers that you could say, because those are ones that were set, then you are limiting God. You are painting God into a corner. You are saying that He cannot serve you, your needs, so to speak, and your wishes and your desires. The word serve is entirely wrong. But He cannot service your needs, wishes, and desires. Only in this way. And when you pray to Hashem and you say that this is, I need you to do this for me, this business deal needs to succeed, because as if that's the only way God can give you Parnassah, that is a golden calf. That is assuming that Borei Olam has any limitations whatsoever. Assuming that there's a problem that God can't solve. All of this is an Egel HaZahav, is a golden calf. I remember reading a fascinating uh, inter- interaction, exchange between the Chafetz Chaim and Rav Shimon Shkop. The Chafetz Chaim called him over when he was a young rabbi. And he said, tell me, are you a Kohen? Rav Shimon Shkop says, no. Chafetz Chaim was famous. He was a Kohen. Not only was he a Kohen, but he started uh, the study of all of the halachot of Korbanot, he said, Mashiach is around the corner. You have to be ready. But the Beit HaMikdash is going to come, and we're not going to know which Korban, how to bring it, when you bring what, which Ketoret, this, that, nothing. So he started the process of people studying in depth all the laws of the Beit HaMikdash, of uh, Zvachim, Menachot, etc., Murah, all these laws that are associated with the time of the Beit HaMikdash. So Rav Shimon Shkav tells him, no, I'm not a Kohen. The Chafetz Chaim asks, why? Why are you not a Kohen? <laughs> he's looking at the rabbi, like he's lost his mind. What do you mean, rabbi? You know how Kohen works. <laughs> my father's not a Kohen, I'm not a Kohen. What do you want from my life? The Chafetz Chaim says, you know why I'm a Kohen? <laughs> the Chafetz Chaim was brilliant at bringing incredible points back down to such a simple interchange, such a simple example. You know why I'm a Kohen, he says? He says, because when they called out, who is here for God? Who's turning up for Hashem? My great-great-grandfather turned up. When Moshe said, Mila Hashem Eli, they stepped, they stepped up to the mark. And because of that time, I'm a Kohen. You want to know why you're not a Kohen? Because your great-great-grandfather missed his moment. 
Then he put his hands on his shoulders and he looked him right in the eye and he said, when that moment comes again, don't miss the moment. When you're called to be there for God, don't miss your moment. Look at what you achieve for yourself and for all of your children. My friends, it's only the Chafetz Chaim that can ask a question, why are you not a Kohen? Don't you realize that there'll be another opportunity? Where do we find that? A person who was not a Kohen, who stepped up and became a Kohen after the laws of Kohen were already in place. Pinechas. Pinechas was not a Kohen. And the moment comes and he jumps up ready and he achieves kihuna for himself. Greatness doesn't only have one name. It's not only called kihuna. There's a, a, a million roads to being great, to being something special, to achieving unbelievable things in this world. But they, they all have that in common, that a person needs to be ready to step up to the mark. So when we see in our world opportunities for spirituality that are not part of the regular rubric, that are not part of the regular synagogue or, or uh, the roadmap that's in front of us, it's important for us to remember Shiviti Hashem Lenegdi Tamid. God is before me always. And that's the answer to this contradiction. On the one hand, we understand that they were replacing Moshe. On the other hand, so it was not Abu Dazra. On the other hand, the very idea that you think that God needs a pipeline, God needs something physical, God needs something that you can touch or smell or see or taste, that God needs that to interact with the world, that's a limitation of God. That's the serving of a God in a way which is zara, which is strange. That's an idol worship. Because the one that you're serving is not God. There was a man who came to Rav Noach Weinberg. And he said, you know, I don't believe in God. And Rav Noach Weinberg said to him, the God that you don't believe in, I don't believe in either. If you think that God is Superman, even if you think that Superman's name is Aleph Dalet Nun Yud or Yud Kevavke, the Jewish people could have been worshipping the same name, the same God that they had heard of before, but by placing that quantification upon him, by understanding God that way, they were worshipping an idol. They'd effectively turned God into a calf made out of gold. Because this is the way you serve Hashem. My friends, you don't need a rabbi to serve Hashem. We are not Christianity. You need a rabbi to teach you, to guide you, no question. You don't serve Hashem through your rabbi. You don't serve Hashem through your synagogue. You take Hashem with you every single step of the day. He's there as part of your consciousness. You speak to Him, you thank Him, you argue with Him. Listen to the words of David HaMelech throughout Tehillim. And you see David had, had a full-on conversation running with God all the time. And it wasn't only I need this and I need that, or thank you for this or thank you for that. It's God, what are you doing to me? 
What do you hope to gain by seeing me dead? Will the earth, will it praise you? Will it speak your truths? David is bargaining with God. He's arguing. Asking Hashem for more time. Asking Hashem, why is this happening to me? Eli, Eli, lama azavtani. My God, why have you left me? What, what's being said there? It's not a prayer. It's not a, it's not a request. It's something real. It's a real conversation between someone who experienced God. And I, someone said to me a chidush yesterday. And um, I put my own understanding and spin on it. The Pasuk says that Esther said, Eli, Eli, Lama Azavtani. God, my God, my God, why have you left me? And um, this person said over to me, I can't remember who he said it in the name of, possibly the Chida. He said that there are two names, so to speak, a guardian angel of the Jewish people and of the Jewish people themselves. Michael. And Israel. Eli, Eli, Lam Azavtani, my God, my God, why have you left me? It's, it's giving you a, maybe a glimpse, a code. The letters Eli are present in the word Michael. If you take the letters Eli out of Michael, if they leave, Yani, Lama Azavtani, what are you left with? Mem and Chaf. Mach in Hebrew means. Someone who's impoverished or poor. Kiyamu chachicha. Umach yado, Pasuk says. Okay? Mach could also mean someone that's trampled or squished. Okay? So Esther says, Eli, Eli, lama azavtani. Twice. One, in terms of where's my guardian angel. The second, in the word Yisrael, if you remove the letters Eli from Yisrael, what are you left with? Shin. And Resh Sar. What does Sar mean? Sar means king, a ruler. Esther, her whole time in the, in the palace, she was a queen, but she was hidden. She wasn't involved. She didn't want to know. She flew under the radar, didn't want anyone to talk to anyone, didn't want anyone to bother her. You know, in fact, until Mordechai tells her to go inside, she's very happy she hasn't been called in a long time. This is exactly how she wants it. If this is how it has to be, this is exactly how she wants it. But Esther understands, my God, Eli, Eli, Lama Zavtani, you're forcing me into a position. Either, Mach, the result of this is going to be that I'm going to wind out impoverished or, 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 or crushed. I'm going to wind up destroyed from having to walk into the king's uh, palace, right? Or the result is, it's going to go really well. And I'm going to become elevated. I'm going to become a, a true queen. But that's also something I don't want. So Esther is asking, why have you left me in this way? Where Whichever way I go, it, it doesn't work out for me. It's not what I want. It's not, Lama azaftan. What a powerful prayer that Esther is saying. She's saying to God, you trapped me. By leaving me. But what Esther did not know 
was that this plan wasn't just about saving the Jews from uh, a threat of Haman in the moment. It was rather God's way of clearing the path for the Beit HaMikdash to be born, as we know, with the, uh, with the child of Esther, Dariyavesh, allowing the Jewish people to go rebuild the temple. And what I found so powerful about that is that she's crying about the fact that God has left her. And I was thinking to myself, the mashal would be of a husband and wife to get married. And uh, the wife wakes up the morning after the wedding. She rolls over to give her a hug. Guy's gone. It's and they go, gone. Three hours she's waiting. Husband comes, knocks at the door. She's dressed, she's got a suitcase. She's like, I woke up the morning after my wedding, you're gone, you leave me like that? Forget it, I'm out, I'm going back home. Wedding's off. <laughs> I left your ring in the sink with all the dirty dishes for my breakfast. <laughs> He says, okay, no problem. He goes, but uh, on the way to your, your father's house, I'll drive you, we'll share an Uber, we'll Uber pool, it's cheaper. Divorce is expensive, so if I could save a couple of dollars on the Uber pool. But there's just one stop I want to make before we you know, get to your parents' house. She says, okay, you know, fine, she can give him that courtesy. The guy drives, makes a right, makes a left, makes a right, makes a left, makes a right, makes a left, pulls up in front of a magnificent home. She says, who, 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 are we, who's here? He said, who's here? This is our house. All this time during the engagement, I bought this home. I furnished it with all the things, the articles of furniture that I noticed since we started dating that you like. Every time you said, oh, it's a nice couch, I took a picture. Every time you liked the painting in a museum, I took a picture. Every time you complimented somebody on a color, on a this or that, I took notes. And he opens the door and he takes her around this house that was made literally just for her, for their future together. And he says that I wanted it to be a surprise and I wanted it to be ready. But there were a couple last minute things that just needed to be taken care of. And I wanted it to be perfect for you. If you want the Uber still outside... Here's the ring. I took it on the way out if you want to stay. She throws her arms around him, gives him the biggest hug. What she thought was an aziva, was leaving her, was actually her husband investing in staying together in an even stronger way than in the hotel the morning after the, 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 the wedding. He was building their home together. She's crying, Eli, Eli, Lama Azaftani. What is God doing? God was building their shared home together, the Beit HaMikdash. This is what it means. Some form of doubting God is in, in a way, not just a lack of emunah, it's avodah zarah. It's deciding that my concept of God is what God is. And if it's not my concept of God, then God is absent. 
that's a golden calf. That if something is wrong or doesn't work out, that's God having left me. That's a golden calf. Because God has a thousand moves that you haven't thought of. May Hashem bless us always to feel His presence with us. May Hashem bless us always to have a real and genuine relationship with Him. And through that to bring the Beracha that such a relationship uh, espouses, pardon the pun, uh, into our lives. Baruch Amen. Amen.